Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, October the 29th, and this is Reformation Week. I hope and pray that all of you have a wonderful Reformation Day on Sunday to celebrate the truth of the scriptures that point us to Christ and that we are saved by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus. And as we do that this weekend, today we look and gather around the gift of the inspired and true word of God and put on our Christ goggles at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Yesterday was such a blessing to go through a very very familiar part of Holy Scripture, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 3. And now we'll get to the end. And the end unpacks simply the ways of the beginning. Um, there's a time for everything, but what about how do I live my life? Uh, where is the joy? What is the purpose? What is our calling? Which is something we talk about quite often as people in Christ. What is my vocation? We'll unpack that truth today as the gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have back with us Pastor Jason Bredesen, a pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sacramento, California, and also wing chaplain of the 940th Air Refilling Wing at Bale Air Force Base in California. Pastor Bredesen, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Good morning, Pastor Trinan, and uh, thank you for inviting me back. It's it's good to be back with all of you. Absolutely. Last time we had you on, basically, you ran the show for about at least a quarter of our time, if you remember that correctly. <laughs> I I do remember, and uh, that was kind of fun. I, uh, <laughs> I, it, although I will say it's good to have you back with us as well. Uh, I, I appreciate you joining us today, Pastor <laughs> You are very welcome. That was That was a lot of fun because, as our guests know, uh, whoever listened to that, this would have been in July. Basically, we had internet issues. I had internet issues. They're they're redoing. They were redoing the garage at the church, and they unhooked the internet, and it was just a, a complete disaster. <laughs> but it worked out because basically we told Pastor Bredesen take over, and he did. So, Pastor, uh, today we we pray that doesn't happen today. So, tell us about we last time we talked was in July. What's happening for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Trinity? Yeah, so uh, we uh, just last Sunday had a record rainfall here in the Sacramento Valley and up in the mountains. Uh, we, we nearly uh, eclipsed our rainfall for last year. We totaled about five and a half inches of rain here at my home. And uh, if you know Northern California, you know that is a lot of rain. Mm. Um, so that was good. It, it helped us uh, work through the drought a little bit. We're, we're still in the drought, but God willing, he will continue to provide rain for us and snow in the mountains. Not so much that we are in peril, but that uh, he would tend and water his beautiful creation here in California. We think here at Trinity are doing fine, plugging away and, and um, living the dream, as they say. Uh, as for my family, um, Today is my beautiful daughter, Ellie's 10th birthday. So if you don't mind, Pastor Finneran, I'd just love to wish my beautiful baby girl, Ellie, a happy, very, very happy 10th birthday. God bless you, baby girl. Happy birthday to her. What's her name again? Ellie. 
Ellie. Elizabeth is her name. We call her Ellie. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Happy birthday to you, um, Ellie, as you turn 10. That is, you know, it's kind of crazy. When your kids are turning ages that you remember turning, that's when things, it's like, whoa, wait a second. I remember when I turned 10. So um, uh, I can't remember exactly what happened that day, but I do remember when I turned 10. So God bless her and your family and the blessed saints at Trinity. So Pastor, as we begin to search the scriptures this morning, can you begin our time in prayer? I'd be happy to. We pray. Holy Father, you are the Lord of all of your creation, the times and the seasons that you bring us through in our lives. You, uh, you show us your blessed care for us in all aspects of our life. And even though we may not always recognize it, we do give you thanks for all of the care that you provide for us. The preacher, Solomon in Ecclesiastes, grants us great wisdom in terms of understanding our life in you, both from uh, a potentially pessimistic or cynical, uh, realistic way, but also in a very uh, humbled faith understanding that, uh, that as you are the God of all creation, so you care for us in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In him we have great uh, joy, hope, comfort and give you all thanks and praise amen amen as we look at chapter three uh we we think of chapter three the first eight verses and we went through that yesterday and what a blessing it was and it begins the chapter by saying for everything there's a season a time for every matter under heaven and and pastor we've talked about this a little bit before our program that there's a transition that happens at the end of chapter three something that we most often don't quote or even realize is there in Ecclesiastes. So how do, you, how do you want to start us off in this wonderful chapter of Scripture? Well, I would love to uh, just offer a little bit of insight on Ecclesiastes and maybe a little bit about Solomon. I know I'm sure that your previous guests have talked a little bit about that, but, uh, you know, it's often understood that Song of Solomon or Song of Songs was written by a very early and vibrant Solomon who uh, was was devotedly in love, and uh, that comes across in the book. And then Proverbs is kind of him in his prime, the wise sage, offering insight into um, the life that we are living in, in God and how he operates. And then Ecclesiastes, we get to Ecclesiastes, and I kind of liken this to uh, the grumpy old man sitting in his lawn chair screaming at the kids, get off my lawn. (laughs) Uh, He has, uh, Solomon has found himself um, drawn away from God by all of his uh, harem and his many wives who did not reflect a faithfulness to Yahweh that Yahweh had called for. And he, uh, he ends up being a good bit cynical, almost nihilistic, very jaded. Uh, my beautiful wife, Miranda, uh, my beloved, she likes to refer to me as a pessimist. I, I more think of myself as a realist, uh, but the answer is probably somewhere in the middle there. And, and um, I think Solomon may very well be in that path, as it were, just kind of looking at the world around him, looking at what 
his life has become and shrugging his shoulders and saying vanity of vanities. Why any of this? Um, and it, it goes to show what a life without God provides. It almost uh, reflects uh, from Winnie the Pooh, the well-known character, Eeyore, mm. why bother? It doesn't matter anyway. But I think in the verses that we're to look at today, we are going to see that it does matter uh, and, and that we do have purpose that our callings in life, as you referred to, the vocations that God has given to us, actually do provide us great meaning and great hope and great comfort. And they all certainly do point us to the life that God gives to us in His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's very helpful because there is a transition um, that we talk about in chapter 3 where it's kind of a one through eight shows us the reality of the world, that there's going to be time for war, there's going to be time for peace, so there's going to be time for this, a time for that. And the end here gets to this, okay, that's the reality. Now, where do we find our joy? Um, where do we find our vocational holiness is a, a very common way of speaking. And, and, and that is very helpful because it's very simplistic. So any thoughts on that before we dig into this text? Well, I think it's going to become clear just just what the vocational holiness is that is before us. Uh, we're going to go from a, a jaded, nihilistic understanding to a life with purpose in these next few verses. And, and that just really gives us great hope. Well, let's dig into it. Reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture in the, at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Um, starting in verse 9. The preacher writes, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You know what? I'm going to stop there, Pastor, just to kind of leave it a little bit on a cliffhanger. Um, is okay. So he begins, what gain has a worker from his toil? And those 9 through 11, uh, what does he portray? What is he asking? So again, this is coming on the the heels of that very well-known, very popular song by the the, uh, folk rock band, The Birds, (laughs) that there is a time for everything. And I think, uh, I think he's recognizing, Solomon, the preacher, is recognizing that even as a cynical view, cynical worldview, recognizes that our toil comes to nothing, that, um, that the two things that endure, as it were, are death and taxes. Uh, and yet, that offers us a great freedom when we recognize that that a life in Christ for us Christians and for uh, for Solomon writing in the Old Testament, which looked ahead to Christ, uh, a, a life of fulfillment in Yahweh and his covenant, again, looking ahead to Christ, offers us great freedom. Uh, it is the, the very great uh, and hopeful words that in Christ, in 1 Corinthians 15, 15, 58, mm. 
um, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our labor in the resurrected Christ is not in vain, not in vain at all, but actually finds its purpose and uh, hope in in the work that we do because Christ is risen. Hallelujah. And that's and that's very helpful because he he speaks about such words because we have to have the right filter. We have to, as I say, uh, as many people have said before me, that we have to have our Christ goggles on because it can be seen as this guy yelling at kids who are running on his lawn. <laughs> um, but he keeps it in perspective, a lament of sorts, where he's lamenting what's going mm-hmm. on in the world. And he's asking the question, okay, what good was all of this? I've seen us be busy. You know how all we, how typically you ask, hey, how's Pastor Bredesen doing? And you go, oh, I'm busy. And you ask me, oh, I'm busy. And it's kind of like this contest of who's busier. And then if you really think about it, like what did that get me besides go to bed earlier and not sleep very well? What good does this do? And then he points it to that the Lord has put eternity into my heart, but we still don't know from the beginning to end what God is up to. You know, we know this, but we don't really know what's going on. And that can be quite terrifying. And what do you think about that? That the reality is we don't know all that God is doing in the world and how that can be a terrifying thing. Absolutely. Uh, when, when looking at God outside of the mercy of Christ, it can be an incredibly terrifying thing. Um, just look at the creation around us. Uh, as mentioned, we had record rainfall here in the Sacramento area. And uh, that could be devastating, especially where we had the, the forest fires this summer, um, the, the uh, debris that is coming down the rivers and that sort of thing could very well be further damaging to um, life and property. And that's, that's the Lord in creation at work. But when we look at the mercy of Jesus Christ on the cross, we see that uh, we see the promise of Romans eight twenty eight that that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Um, but again, that mercy is found only and and purely in the cross of Jesus Christ. One thing that stood out to me, not only regarding the eternity in their hearts, but there in verse eleven, the the truth that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And as I was looking at this, that term beautiful, it's not only used in, in uh, the Old Testament with regard to how uh, Rachel and Leah showed forth a, uh, a physical beauty, but it's also a beautiful in terms of its useful function. It, it's almost a pragmatic beauty. And so as we view these verses, not from a cynical, jaded, godless mindset, but from the mindset of um, vocational identity in Christ, we see that even the difficult times in life have a real pragmatic beauty to them. And that leads us to the eternity that is written on everyone's part, not just Christians, but um, as we hear in Romans 2, that the law of God is written on everyone's heart. There in Romans 2, it's, it takes a, a bit of a, a scary turn for the non-Christian in that it leaves everybody without excuse when it comes to our sin and sinfulness. Um, but uh, 
but that uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that in him all things truly do work together for good, which ought to motivate us to prayer and proclamation to all of the unchurched that are in front of us. And that it's really it's really interesting because there's so much we don't know. And you said this so perfectly with First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, because in those passages, I mean, First Corinthians fifteen is the perfect one to go through. When why did that happen, Sacramento? You know, why was there uh, why was there a hurricane? You know, why was there death of this person? Why was there this? It just doesn't make any sense. We don't know all of that, but in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead is how Paul talks in that language. So we know we have that, and that's the filter that we have through this whole book and throughout the whole scriptures. But I think Ecclesiastes really puts that into light, that it's not just goggles where you see Jesus, but it makes everything more clear, that understanding of, yes, we have heaven written in our heart at the same time, um, that we don't know everything about God, but we know what we need to know, which is Christ and him crucified. So I think that is is a segue to our next two verses, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say because this really, it's like the first time in Ecclesiastes where you really feel like there's some joy. You know, it's like, well, okay, I like love. Well, I don't like hate. I like I don't like war. I like peace. But you're kind of left with the messy middle, and here we get some encouragement in Christ. So 12 and 13. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That is God's gift to man. So now he gets into some positive things. What is he telling us? Boy, isn't that just a beautiful passage? You know, as I was studying up on this, reading Dr. James Bullhagen's, commentary produced by TPH. Uh, I love what he had to say about these verses. Um, he, he writes, his desire is that people, God's desire is that people develop a wholesome amnesia, perhaps even a blissful naivete, about the weighty problems of life that are beyond any human resolution. When people are bogged down with keeping the furnace embers hot and other related matters too tired to move and too overloaded mentally, even to think God's wish is that they grow forgetful about life's problems and that they see no choice, but to leave the big picture in his capable hands. Mm. I just love that teaching because uh, there's so much truth to that. And in a world that, that we live in that is so inundated with cable news channels and internet news sources and an overload of information and misinformation and disinformation and flat out lies. It is easy to get distracted and get hung up on whether we're masked or not masked or vaxxed or not vaxxed and lose sight of the truth that God desires his creation to be fulfilled in the daily work to which he has called them. There is a great joy in saying, you know what? Say la vie. What will be will be. And uh, I know that Christ has me in the palm of his hand and that all things will work together for my good. My job is to do my job. And so I'll put my nose to the grindstone and I will do it and find fulfillment in that. 
ever rejoicing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because he writes in that commentary too, is that uh, basically don't worry, be happy is kind of the premise mm. of that, a hopeful mm-hmm. amnesia. I remember reading that as well, where it's, you don't want to, you don't want to go too far with this. Cause it's not like, Oh, don't worry, be happy. You're like, okay, I'll be happy now. No, it's the understanding that God has this. This is a gift from the Lord to have this hopeful amnesia because we have the cross in front of us. And therefore, you're able to be happy at the same time to happily receive the gifts, extending your hand with an open hand, receiving what the Lord has given. Yes, we don't know it all. Yes, we don't understand the, 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 the reason why God does what he does. But we do have the hopeful and the joyful reality that uh, there we have Christ. So that, so tell me this, Pastor. Um, in your life and ministry and serving in our military, what are ways that you've seen? Um, I'm putting you on the spot here, but wait, that you've seen people kind of eat, drink, and be merry because the Lord has everything in their hands, in His hands. Excuse me. Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I I think it's. It's just a beautiful juxtaposition, a, a paradox. You know, I mentioned that my wife says I'm a pessimist, but I view myself as a realist. A, a holy realism is such a healthy thing. Um, the world is so utterly broken, and we we are broken, and we end up breaking things in our brokenness. Mm. And yet, God remains faithful. What What are some of the ways that I've seen that? Um, I have a member of my church who is a fairly well-known artist and he, he, he makes very whimsical pieces. Uh, I really appreciate his style. And, uh, by the way, he is a, a gifted evangelist and one of the best theologians I have ever met, uh, lay or ordained and, um, and he has such a fun view of life. He, he understands the world is utterly broken and that he is broken as well. But even in the midst of brokenness, the grace and mercy of Jesus just abounds. As we, I, I don't mean to look ahead, but it really is applicable at this point. In verse 18, we're going to hear that God is testing uh, the children of men mm-hmm. and my friend, my member, uh, this artist, he's, he all, all, always says, yeah, you know what? We're being tested and we're going to fail the test. But there is one who has passed the test and he gives us the grade and it's a passing grade because of his own passing of the test. And I think that's, that's, that's just kind of how vocation works. Um, that as we do what God has gifted us to do and called us to do, ever being uh, rejoicing in the faithfulness of Christ for us and faithfully hearing his word and receiving the sacrament, remembering our baptism, joining in the fellowship of the saints. You know, the world is going to world. The devil's going to devil and our flesh is going to flesh, but Jesus Christ remains faithful above all else. And that is so helpful to see something, especially something like art, art, uh, let's see, artists, 
that's so far away from my purview. Like I have no possible way <laughs> of knowing anything about artistry. And my sister is an artist and she lives in Vermont. And, and I mean, talk about two different completely ways of thinking about the world. Um, but it's so wonderful to be able to see what they're able to do, especially as you speak about your, your member, that he's able to look at everything um, with faith in mind, with Christ in mind as he does it, and to be able to have a joy in something that you and I, or I would say me, I don't know about your artistic abilities, but to be able to see it in a way that we just never could with the lens of faith. I mean, what a gift that is to to you, obviously, to your members, um, those he witnesses to, but also to the art community in general. So we have about a minute left before our break. Any thoughts on on that vocational holiness and that thought, those thoughts? Well, I think it goes back to uh, verse 11, where God has made be- everything beautiful in its time. The artistry oh, that God gives to his people. What a, what a gift and promise that we have to know that we are God's craftsmanship, that, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good which he has called us to. I want to touch on that a little bit more after our break. We are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 3 with Pastor Jason Bredesen, and we will be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 3 with Pastor Jason Bredesen from Trinity Lutheran Church in Sacramento, California. Now, here's an encouragement I have for you, our listeners, is that we all have a vocation. Father, um, son, grandson, you know, daughter, mother, grandmother. Uh, our vocations, our jobs, skills and abilities that God has given to you. And one of the great gifts I encourage you is to think about this. How can you be joyful in that vocation, because um, God has made you uh, to be His a new creation in Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And that's what Solomon is encouraging right now, not to look at the world as it is nothing better than maybe just to keep kids off my lawn, but for you to be able to look at your life and to realize that in Christ, that he has called you to do wonderful things at all ages. And that is my encouragement to you, and Pastor Bredesen has really brought that back to us to understand that each one of you, as a child of God, it has a calling, a vocation to be doing in the name of Jesus. So, Pastor, we've done the uh, 9 through 13. Any other thoughts before we move on? Rejoice in vocation and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I think that that is the greatest hope and comfort that we have is Jesus Christ. And again, looking at 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, boy, what freedom we have in that to go about our daily work knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Well, let's keep moving forward with that in mind, and I hope, and I, let's just keep doing that. Let's talk about rejoicing, because we're rejoicing in the Lord, because the Lord 
in his joy, went and gave himself for you in Christ. So verse 14, and we're just going to do 14 and 15. I perceive that whatever God does endures, whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what he has been driven away. So I, I want I want to say that there's there's that, okay, be joyful in the mercies of Christ. And now he kind of gets us some theologizing, right? He's kind of he's trying to figure out God here a little bit, proclaiming it a little <laughs> bit. What is he telling us about God here? Well, I think what he's saying is that God's got your back. Mm. Uh, and he knows everything. And not only does he know everything, but he oversees everything. And again, that can be a a scary thing looking at a providential God unless you look at him through the lens of Jesus Christ, where he delights to act in mercy. Uh, and, and as you look at Jesus Christ and how he acts in mercy, that just provides such comfort and hope. And this is where last week we had on Friday, excuse me, on Friday, a week ago, we had Pastor Phil Boo to go through Psalm 139, where we study and pray what is there. And it, it, it speaks such, such wonderful language of what you just said. You have searched me and you've known me, that I was knit to, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And that language definitely is affirmed here with what you just said, that God has your back. You know, God has you in the palm of his hand. Um, that what is will be because of God and his grace is sufficient um, for my power is made known in my weakness kind of language. And so really that that's a very good understanding of God. You could look at it pessimistically where you're kind of like, well, uh, I don't know what God's up to. But we do know what we do know leads us to leave the other things at his feet as opposed to our own. So anything else? Just uh, that last verse in pray, uh, that last phrase in verse 15, God seeks what has been driven away. Mm. Uh, I look back to the Garden of Eden, and um, God rightly disbarred Adam and Eve from the Tree of Life, not only as an act of punishment for their disobedience, but also as a great act of mercy, because if they had remained, it would be all over for them and the entire human race. Uh, in in a in a hot second, but God sent them out of the garden and protected them from the tree of life. That by the life giving tree of the cross, Jesus Christ is making all things new. He is bringing back to the garden all of the sons of Adam through His Son Jesus Christ. And I can't help but not think about the, um, the the parable of the lost sheep type of language in there as well. You know, he leaves the 99 and goes for the one sheep, and he doesn't, he searches, to, he came to seek and to serve the lost. Um, and, and, and that language of being a shepherd. I mean, we, how could we not see God as a shepherd in this, that those have gone away, gone astray? He has... Um, 
uh, he's, he is our shepherd and he continually comes to us. And I mean, it's not the one-to-one, but definitely that language is there that points us back, not to a God who is leaving everything to question, but showing us exactly what we need to know about a God who comes and seeks us, even when we should not be all seekable, if you will. So, Pastor, anything else in verses 9 through 15? Rejoice in vocation. God's gift. <laughs> it's so good. good. It's so good. And yeah. And, and Pastor, I want I wanted to I wanted to ask this for a moment too, because you have many vocations. You're a father. You are a, a husband. More importantly, uh, a son. You serve in our military. And why is it that uh, you? Where, where's the joy you find as a military chaplain? I want to ask, I put you on the spot once again, because I know you're good on the spot because, you know, last time I wasn't even on for 10 minutes or so, so I can put you on the spot. But, Pastor, where's the joy in serving our men and women who serve in our Air Force and our military? Great question, Pastor Fenner. And my joy in serving as an Air Force Reserve chaplain really comes in getting to know the people and serving them in a um, – in a religious, as it were, manner as a chaplain. It looks very different from my work as pastor of Trinity. In fact, I often tell my people at Trinity, hey, you know, I love my Lutheran, and I love to get away from my Lutheran. (laughs) Uh, Not because I have anything against my Lutherans, they're great people, but, uh, but it gives me the opportunity to rub elbows with people who don't look like me or think like me. They're not uh, confessional German Lutherans, by and large, in the Air Force. That may surprise many of you, but, uh, but it is uh, very much true. And, and just to be, the ability to be able to get to know people on a very personal level and to engage them with the gospel and seek ways of translating the gospel into a language that they might hear and receive it, it is just a, a real blessing to me, a, a, a vocational joy to me to be able to serve in that capacity. Um, I love people, uh, all people. I love my Lutherans, and I love hanging out with a bunch of people who aren't Lutheran uh, or even Christian because, um, because they are God's people by nature of the first article, creation, no less than me. The only difference between me and them is that I have the grace of Jesus Christ. And that grace that Jesus has given me motivates me to share that grace of Jesus with all people. And, uh, and that, that work in the Air Force Reserve is a great opportunity to be able to do that. Um, so really it comes down to my love for people and desiring to share the gospel with them. Well, thank you for sharing that, Pastor. I, um, as we always want to do is to keep our men and women uh, who serve in the military in our prayers and pray for our chaplains as they faithfully care for people, love people, as Pastor Bresson said so well, and to, to be able to see how God is at work um, well beyond our own walls, obviously within our own members. But and this is interesting. I'm trying to I'm trying to put my mind around. I love my Lutherans, but I'd love to get away from my Lutherans as well. That's something I have to figure out how to put that in a sermon text. I'm not sure how to do it. So right. anyways, but thank you for sharing that, Pastor. And, and it's a reminder for us, we should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all of our toil. 
And that's whatever the Lord has put before us. And at the same time, some people, sometimes they're not taking pleasure in this toil, which is why we have chaplains and we have pastors and we have workers in the vineyard to make sure people know that there is always joy because we have Christ. So we continue to move forward. And now we, another transition happens. And as we look at our verses, I wanted to continue on in verses 16 through 18 and, and break down how Solomon continues on. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, and they may see that they themselves are but beasts." Now, once again, he uses this language, under the sun. And we talked about this a lot in chapter 1, that as we look at the world, we know we're under the sun, toiling away, kind of like when you mentioned Genesis 2, that when we felt, when Adam and Eve fell away, he basically said, there's going to be toil under the sun, you know, that the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to work for this thing now. And he sees wickedness everywhere he goes, justice, righteousness, there's wickedness. How would you describe what's going on here in these first three verses? Boy, yeah, this, again, just smacks you in the face with the reality that that we face as broken people in a broken world. Uh, it's, it's, it's a humbling thing to look at these words. Uh, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Gosh, that that's... And that's that's a hard thing to to wrestle with because um, the the injustices of our world abound, and even where we would look to see justice, we we find wickedness, and that's a hard thing. Evil really does march on, and the unholy trinity of the devil, our sinful flesh, and the broken world in which we live does its dirty work of attempting to draw us away from the gospel and to confuse the matter. And I think this uh, lack of justice and righteousness and finding wickedness in their place is one of the great ways that, that the devil works and the world works to draw us away from Christ. Is that not what happened in the cross? The greatest injustice in the world was was foisted upon the most innocent of all human human beings, and yet in that we see not only the the grossest injustice, but we see the greatest righteousness. What God, uh, what what was meant for evil, God turned to good. We have the righteousness and justice of Jesus Christ and not our own wickedness because Jesus Christ suffered his injustice. And that's, he really... The injustice of the cross. Right, the injustice of the cross. That's, that's a, great, um, a great way to continue to point us to Christ in this because when we make it sound like where there is, quote, justice, that there will be no evil in this side of eternity. Or we make it sound like where there's righteousness, there'll be no wickedness there. 
then we're just lying. I mean, it's like even with our own mm-hmm. our own lives that we say, because I'm saved, then there's no more sin or something. Or that because I'm saved, there's no more uh, jealousy and there's no more coveting and there's no more anger and there's no more uh, whatever you want to say because our hearts are definitely soiled with sin and we need repentance. And I think about this in the church, and I want to get your thoughts on it, and you can maybe even relate it to the military, is that even within the church, we are soaked in the grace of God, that we are receiving and and being renewed in Christ living in us by the body and blood of Christ. You see a child get claimed by Jesus in holy baptism, washed clean, sanctified. We do all those things, but yet we still will see sin and brokenness and wickedness and jealousy and coveting and anger and dishonoring people and false testimony and all this stuff. It's amazing to think about, especially within our own selves, that he, Solomon is just saying it all right, that there will be wickedness and there will be brokenness. And and there, once again, it leads us, I would I would say, to repentance as opposed to despair that there's nothing, that we have no hope. We do have hope. But, but yet it is humbling when you realize the realities of what is supposed to be righteous is still there is wickedness among it. Your thoughts and how that relates to church or the military or your service or in other ways. Yeah, you you really reflect uh, the truth that in the the church is not immune to evil. Um, even as the beautiful bride of Christ, uh, we are broken. Um, we we are sinful, and that's why we gather. We need the gospel. That we need to kneel and confess our sins, and hear and receive the 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 promise the 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 fulfillment of that forgiveness of sin in absolution we need to kneel and hold our beggar's hand out and receive the body and blood of our lord jesus christ for the forgiveness of our sin the strengthening of our faith and even as uh, our our congregations and and myself included sin against each other so often yet even in the midst of the congregation through the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren, the gospel comes to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, wickedness abounds, uh, even in the church. Right? I like to tell my confirmands when I'm teaching um, the, f- the fifth commandment, thou shalt not murder. You know, I like to tell them, you know, I've never shed blood to the point of death, but I'm a murderer. And then I start screaming at them that they're all murderers, and they have committed murder. And then I steer them to the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, that if you have thought ill of someone, that if you have pronounced raka upon someone, you've committed murder in your heart. Now, of course, the civil ramifications are, are going to be much more drastic if I actually go out and kill somebody. But in God's eyes, I have committed murder in my heart. I am a murderer. And repentance and faith is the only the only uh, faithful response to receive and hear the word of forgiveness from Jesus Christ. And that is quite humbling because for us in the church, we know there's righteousness. We know there's um, we know there's justice, 
Um, just as if we did not sin, this is justification, the, the doctrine of which the church stands or falls, but yet we know in our hearts that we are indeed sinners, and God will judge sinners, which is why, which is why we look at this, we realize, once again, to rejoice, because it is Christ who has taken that, who ha- is the just one, he is the one who is the righteous one, who imputes that into us, the imputation of righteousness into our hearts, in baptism and changes us and realizes, but yet we can, we still say we are, but beasts. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? I was thinking that uh, we have to probably say that more in church. Yeah. But that is part of the confession absolution for our next hymnal that we are, but right. beasts, um, part of that. So any, any other thoughts before we move on? No, I love that. I said in my heart with regard to the children of men that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Mm. Yeah, I, I like your idea. Let's get up with the hymnal committee and maybe include <laughs> that in the uh, confession of sins. We are exactly. we are horrible beasts. Um, amen, <laughs> there's amen, a lot of go dark home. realism to that. <laughs> What's that? Uh, I'm going to say amen and go home. You're beast. Get out of here. Yeah, You're yeah, done. exactly. Yeah. There, there is there is a dark reality to that but but again there's that test that we were talking about earlier and the truth is we're going to fail that test we've already failed it and there's there's no hope for us to even come close to passing it but it is jesus christ who is faithful who has passed the test and who gives us imputes his righteousness to us that we might receive as it were the passing grade as a free gift in eternal life now there is a there is a reality as you talked about when you teach your confirmands or you teach anywhere is it is difficult for people to say what do you mean God tests us like that that doesn't sound like the God I know um, but yet Scripture is very clear that God does test His people we see that all the time with the Israelites clearly Solomon was tested throughout his life and yeah we can stand with um, well we're going to fail that test but what is it how would you reconcile when someone comes to you and said, I don't like a God that tests me? What would your response be? <laughs> uh, uh, I'd say tough luck. That's, that's the God you've got. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. I, I, but I think the, yeah, I think the answer there is, uh, again, you're going to fail the test. There's, there's no passing this test. In sin, did your mother conceive you? Just, just own it, recognize it for what it is, and that that you're broken. And you can blame Adam and Eve all you want. You can blame the serpent all you want. You can blame. You can levy the blame wherever you want. But the truth is, is that we're all beat, and we're going to die. And uh, we we cannot like how God chooses to operate all we want. But God is God and we are not. And he has chosen to function in and through the cross of Jesus Christ to pass the test that we could not pass and so give us the passing grade through him. And that's helpful because... You know, we, we all have tests. I mean, if, if you were to imagine your kids going to school or you and I going to seminary and there's no tests, 
you would say that's ridiculous. How are you ever going to grow? How are you ever going to know where you're at? And all those kind of things. And then we kind of look at God and say, how dare him test me? Um, and as you said, very blatantly, which is, which is good uh, to say, well, tough luck. God is going to test you just like your teacher is going to test you. And guess what? You're going to grow through it. One, in realizing that you need him. And secondly, it's going to be a challenge for you to say, wow, I need to do better in my vocations. And that's something I think is important for us, too, is, is that we are challenged by the Lord to do better in our vocations, understanding our place with him on account of Christ, but by the Holy Spirit. He helps us in those vocations to live holy lives. What are your thoughts there if someone were to say, well, what's the point? You know, I just, you know, God loves me anyways. Why would I need to do, quote, better in my daily vocations? How would you encourage a member who asks a question like that? Yeah, as you were talking, the thought that came to my mind is is the whole idea of a participation trophy, right? Right. And and just the fact that we are participants in this grand creation, our our participation trophy is the dust of death and being called beasts. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and yet Christ redeems that dust of death and and fashions from our beastiness, a beautiful creature that has been called to love and serve him and the neighbor in need. And as we are set free from ourselves, from our beastliness and our dust of death, and we do, we leave ourselves behind to go and love and serve and serve the neighbor in need. Uh, there's fulfillment that, that, yeah, that, who does not like coming home after a good day's work, tired out, putting their feet up on the couch and relaxing a little bit, enjoying a good meal and going to bed tired and getting a good night's sleep. That is God's gift. And that is, that is definitely reflected a lot in Ecclesiastes, where it talks about uh, that the rich go to bed, you know, with all the rich food, and those who worked hard all day. Sweet is the, here it is. Sweet, sweet, sweet is the sleep of a laborer who eats little or much, but the full stomach of the mm. rich will not let him sleep. And you realize that on mm. vacation, right? You go, and this is from Ecclesiastes five verse twelve. You realize that on vacation because you go on vacation, you eat all this rich food, and you're like, why can't I sleep at night? I sat on the beach all day, and I ate you know, lobster at 10 o'clock at night. What's the problem? Well, I know what the problem is. is because you're not working it off. So we can relate with that right. as well. And here, um, there's a distinction of what you hear often, which is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But mm-hmm. in this text, he is clearly not saying that. He's saying eat, drink, and be merry. And why should we be merry? according to what we're hearing in this text today. Well, our merriness again falls in the, the hope and comfort of the redemption of Jesus Christ and the, the task that he has given to us, whatever that may be, whether it's being artistry or being a pastor or, uh, you know, with my church, we had our budget committee meeting last night. That's a, I'm always fascinated by the, the numbers gurus in my church who can throw together a budget that's faithful and responsible to the mission of the church and uh, faithful and responsible to the gifts that God has given us. And my mind just does not think that way. 
Um, and, uh, and I'm grateful for those people who have been gifted by God in that manner. So let's continue on to the end. As we say, rejoice in our vocation, for Christ has our back. We continue, 8, 19 through the end of chapter 3. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Right here, you can't help but think about Ash Wednesday, where many churches will have you know dust, ashes that they put on the head, on the head of somebody, and it says, "Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return." And here he just lays it out that we are but beasts and our reality is the same. So what do you, but yeah, it tells us to rejoice as you tell us. How would you break down these verses? Yeah, uh, just as a little aside, uh, several years ago, Ash Wednesday fell on February 14th. And my wife came up to receive the imposition of ashes and I looked lovingly and deeply into her beautiful blue eyes but the most romantic thing i could think <laughs> dust you are and to dust you shall return i thought it was pretty funny yeah that's she, uh, she didn't think it was very, funny, but... very endearing very loving yeah 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 <laughs> uh i uh, uh a little twisted sense of humor is what i've got but you know it happens to the best of us Right. Um, with regard to your question, this is this is our reality. This is this is what happens in the garden. We're, we're dust, and we're going back to dust. And there, there's nothing that separates us from the animal world in that sense, except that God created us uniquely and distinctly as His human creation and saved us uniquely and distinctly in the person and work, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's to look at this, again, without the lens of Jesus, it's to be very cynical, to be very nihilistic, to realize that there really is nothing. But then when you view it through the lens of the cross, it gives meaning, it gives hope. Uh, so that the question, um, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? Um, well, we know. We know that answer because we have the revelation of Jesus Christ. And our spirit and our flesh, the, the hope of the cross, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father and all authority and his promised return, Give us the ultimate hope in Jesus Christ that, um, yeah, our bodies will one day return to the dust outside of the return of Christ, but they will be raised. And we are distinctly and uniquely created over and against the beasts of the field. And uh, God has uniquely and distinctly redeemed us again in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So really, there's no difference between me and anybody else on the street, uh, except for the grace of God. 
but for the grace of God, there go I. And that ought to um, cause us to recognize that we ought not be haughty in the reception of the grace and mercy of Jesus, but to rejoice in it and to humbly receive it and to humbly proclaim it and pray for all those who have not yet received it. Pastor Jason Bredesen, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sacramento, California, given us God's strong word of God's strong words of wisdom from Ecclesiastes chapter three. Pastor Bredesen, thank you for the gifts. You're welcome. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, there is a time for everything, and in Christ, eat, drink, and take pleasure in your work, for it is all gift. Pastor Bradison said it so well that all of this is the understanding from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Christ has done it all. Christ is your wisdom. Christ is your salvation. Rejoice in your vocation because it is all in his hands. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. <laughs>